And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. Good to be here, Dan. And Dr. John Vance, pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. Likewise, it's good to be here, Dan. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today. You know, this program, within the milieu of history, theology, current events, seeks to answer questions that have been provided to us, either from listeners, questions we have thought of ourselves, perhaps emails have come in, um, events, current events have triggered a thought in our minds, and uh, last week we got started upon this whole subject of the freedom of religion. And we closed rather abruptly, and I want to uh, jump right in now, uh, this week, into some thoughts that we just barely closed with last week, and that is the whole idea of the freedom of religion and how that right to us is guaranteed by the First Amendment, uh, that we have a free exercise of religious freedom, uh, as opposed to, as compared to, a mere freedom of worship. And who could help us get going today uh, contrasting these two uh, ideas? Well, I think, you know, when you're looking at freedom of religion, it's much broader. It entails so many aspects of your life. When you're talking about freedom of worship, it just talks about, uh, essentially, uh, it can be a very narrowing thing to Mm -hmm. say, simply when you worship in private, you have that freedom. Yeah, and but why? you don't have the freedom to evangelize, and, and you may not even have the freedom to train up your own children yeah. to be Christian. And why would we even uh, focus in on this phrase, freedom of worship? And it's because of this. Uh, recently, this phrase, freedom of worship, is seeming to replace the phrase freedom of religion in public pronouncements from the Obama administration. Even our president himself, uh, on at least two occasions that I know of, uh, has used uh, this uh, terminology, freedom of worship, in the place of freedom of religion. And, mm-hmm. of course, as uh, was pointed out, uh, the Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, also in a very uh, uh, prominent uh, a forum and speech used the phrase freedom of worship in a place of freedom of religion. Yes, and uh, that place happened to be Georgetown University. Mm -hmm. And um, prior to that, you mentioned uh, our president using the phrase freedom of worship, and that appeared uh, back in November uh, in his remarks at the memorial service for the victims of the Fort Hood shooting. And so, uh, yes, we are concerned. And, uh, yes, these phrases have meaning and we believe are being intentionally used rather than freedom of religion. Well, why would someone want to do that? Well, I I, I have some thoughts on that. I I do indeed. Uh, Not (laughs) impugning motives here, but but let's just, just for, let's game play here for a moment. What conceivable reasons could one come up with that would advantage a secular society for changing this language? Hmm. Uh, I can think of three. One, it does privatize and marginalize religion 
And in this case, we're talking uh, since 75% of the American public profess to be some kind of Christian, maybe even 80%, mm-hmm. uh, we're talking a significant aspect of our culture. Two, yeah. I think it's an attempt to break the historic relationship between Christianity and American culture to uh, minimize that uh, cultural influence that Christianity has provided. Uh, and in so doing, you create a vacuum. And I mm-hmm. can't help but think of what the Lord said about uh, uh, creating a vacuum when it comes to a spiritual vacuum. You drive out uh, oh, yeah. the, the one a demon and seven more come in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm always concerned when someone's trying to create space or a vacuum by marginalizing our most holy religion. You know, we're not just making this stuff up either. Um, this stuff has been in the news, and even the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom uh, has noted this shift in language in its 2010 annual report. I will quote them. They say, this change in phraseology could well be viewed by human rights defenders and officials in other countries as having concrete policy implications. And if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. I think it's an attempt to bring us in line with with those nations that are entirely controlling when it comes to the area of religion. Politics trumps your freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Now, last week... Um, one of you fellows was sharing a quotation from Nina Shea at Freedom House. And I'm wondering if you have that quotation just by way of review to show the difference between what we're talking about here, between freedom of a mere freedom of worship, you know, basically go in your corner and pray, versus religious freedom. And uh, John, do you have that? Yeah, uh, Nina Shea at Freedom House, by the way, the foremost protector uh, and advertiser of religious freedom and what's going on around the world says this. Uh, she says, uh, mere freedom of worship, quote, excludes the right to raise your children in your faith, the right to elect your religious leaders, to carry out charitable activities, to evangelize, and to have religious education or seminary training, end of quote. Yeah, you know, when you look at the use of a different word, I think there's a tremendous parallelism with what's gone on theologically, and we're seeing this politically, Mm -hmm. the exchange of freedom of religion instead of including freedom of worship instead. Mm -hmm. Theologically, I saw something like this occur, and of course, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Presbyterian Church in America, but the denomination we came out of And one of the things that fomented that, what's called the Presbyterian Church USA. Mm -hmm. Now, they have a bunch of confessions, wonderful confessions, the Westminster Confession of Faith. And when they started eroding away and drifting from that Westminster Confession of Faith, they didn't take a vote and say, we no longer believe in this. Mm. You know, that would have alarmed a lot of people. Yeah, good point. Instead, they said, oh, we need a new confession. And in 1967, they had the Confession of 67, and it talked about reconciliation. Oh, what a wonderful word that Mm -hmm. is. It's a biblical word. Sure. But what that confession was doing was actually taking and nullifying 
the Westminster Confession of Faith. Mm. Yeah, the uh, chief architect of that 67 confession was my former professor. And mine. <laughs> Edwin Dowie. And mine, yeah. Mine, Edwin Dowie, yeah. You guys have been around. I, I, I enjoyed him as a or professor. Or is it Edward, Edward Dowie, I think. Yeah, Edward, yeah. Well, I'm looking at the clock here, gentlemen. I see we need to take a short break. Um, today we're talking about religious freedom and comparing that with this so-called freedom of worship that has been the catchphrase which the Obama administration has been using. Both the President and uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and a number of folks around the United States of America, there's an article in Christianity Today, have caught on to this and realized, wait a minute, this is... This is nothing but sneakiness going on here. Serious business. It is. is. And so let's continue this discussion on the other side of the break. Stay with us. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. In the studio with me today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. John Vance. 
We've been talking about religious freedom, as opposed to merely freedom of worship. Those two phrases seem like, oh, what's the big deal? But there's a huge point in this, and um, one of the quotations that you gentlemen were sharing with me was this from uh, Nina Shea at the Freedom House. She said, mere freedom of worship excludes the right to raise your children in your faith, the right to elect your religious leaders, to carry out charitable activities. And by the way, those of you listening to this radio station, that would include a Christian station. She continued to evangelize and to have religious education or seminary training. And so merely guaranteeing a freedom of worship is nothing as compared to religious freedom and as guaranteed by the First Amendment. You know, let's take uh, Nina Shea's statement apart there and just look at what she is, in fact, uh, inferring. And and I think it is uh, ominous. Uh, First of all, she says, uh, the right to educate your children. Guess who wants to Hmm. have sole authority to educate your children? The political Hmm. realm. That is so scary. Uh, that that is uh, that is. Look at what she also mm-hmm. goes on to say: uh, to be able to have a private religious education, that of course mm-hmm. would be out. To elect your religious leaders, you say, well, that's far fetched. No, but what if they had to have government approval? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. if, in fact, you elect them, but they also have to be approved by the government, such as today in China, in the official churches, and also. Uh, formerly in the Soviet Union. The Russian Orthodox uh, metropolitans and bishops had to be approved by the state. Mm -hmm. So, yes, this can be quite ominous. And we've already seen that under one bill there was an attempt uh, to do away with religious charities. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I'm concerned about this whole range of things. I don't think we're being alarmist at all. I think we are are seeing a shift that has to be uh, stood up against by uh, right-thinking people. And fellow Christians need to stand up and proclaim the truth, believe the right things, and thank God we can still vote. If, If you don't think this isn't an ominous thing, for Christians you need to just stop and say, how was Yale founded? How was Harvard founded? How was Princeton founded? Here, they were all founded to train pastors oh, and advance yeah. the ministry. Advance the ministry. Dartmouth was to train missionaries to reach out to the Indians. Yeah. Where are these schools today? Hmm. These schools, in an official capacity, probably despise Christianity. Hmm. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what's behind all this? Or who's behind all this? And I think it's that that unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Charles Coulson uh, spoke about this very thing on his blog, and uh, he's even got a, a short video on YouTube explaining the difference between these two concepts, uh, religious freedom and freedom of worship. In his blog, he says, I believe the administration is seeking to redefine the meaning of religious freedom, shrinking it to mean nothing more than the right to worship privately. If successful, this would emasculate the first and most foundational freedom in the Bill of Rights, a freedom we get from God himself, because religious freedom is rooted 
in the very nature of God. Of course, it's important to realize that the Constitution and the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights is recognizing something that is granted to us by our Creator. Mm. They're not granting this. They're recognizing something Mm -hmm. that is basic to what it means to be human. Mm. And so we are talking about engineering a new and different kind of human Mm -hmm. being based uh, surely and solely on political ideology. You know, some people feel, um, some dear Christians will feel that, hey, you guys are just, stop it, stop being political. (laughs) You know, there's a statement in uh, one of the declarations recently, we mentioned the the Manhattan Declaration some time ago, and um, buried inside of that is a really good concept. Let me just read that to you. It's just a short sentence. It says, we will fully and ungrudgingly render to Caesar what is Caesar's. You know, that's using New Testament language. And then it goes on to add this, which is important. But under no circumstances will we render to Caesar what is God's. And God has given us Christians responsibilities over our own children, their education, and he has told us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He has told us to evangelize. This kind of language chips away at those very commandments of God and responsibilities he has given us as Christian believers. Yeah, you really even see it already happening in other countries. As uh, John and Peter said when they were brought before the Jewish leaders and they were told to quit preaching, they said we ought to obey God rather than Mm. men. Mm. And that's true. But at what price? (laughs) Uh, The price of imprisonment and the price of persecution. Is that going to happen here? We already Mm. know in Australia and England and I believe also in Canada were preachers who have been preaching and the teaching of the Bible as it relates to homosexuality have been brought up on charges mm-hmm. and for preaching what the Bible teaches in, in certain areas. In mm-hmm. Sweden, uh, those passages are not permitted to be read from the pulpit. That's uh, right. Is that right? That's yes. right. Uh, yeah. Because they're considered out of accord uh, with the... Uh, present, uh, mm-hmm. what should we say, the uh, spirit of the age. Yes, you yes, know, it reminds me of a quote. Uh, it's a wonderful quote. Uh, he who is married to the spirit of the age will be a widower tomorrow. Mm. Uh, I tell you, uh, I, I believe that when the American populace understands what is going on with respect to their religious freedom that you're going to see a hue and cry like you've never seen before. Yeah, this uh, First Amendment, I was reading another article here, just briefly explaining this. It says, The First Amendment does not exclude Christians from the public square, but instead gives them the opportunity to be public. I thought that was a good quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, we believe in, in the free expression of religion, um, Now, it's interesting, the countries that don't have freedom of religion, do you know that North Korea, according to Freedom House, is the worst persecutor of Christians Mm. on the face of the earth? It's a a dictatorship, Mm -hmm. a communist regime. But uh, all the other countries that come close behind are countries where Sharia law has been established, Mm. uh, and uh, there is no 
allowance for, let's say, for e- even when our chaplains were in Saudi Arabia, they could not display their cross yeah. or carry a Bible in public or, right. or, or say anything or have any visible displays yeah. of an alternative religion. There is no religious freedom. If we lose our religious freedom, and I'm thinking here of Christianity in particular, and that is squashed and done away with, something else will come in. And it may very well be Sharia law. Nature hates a vacuum. Yeah, yeah. really. Yeah. We're talking about religious freedom here today on A Plain Answer. This is Redeemer Broadcasting. In the studio with me is the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York, and Dr. John Vance, pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. And uh, this can be a rather troublesome subject. Gentlemen, let's take a short um, break now and in our thinking and talk about some of the... Um, some of the encouragement we see in terms of families. Uh, you know, the other night, some time ago, we presented uh, Redeemer Broadcasting in, in your church there, John, and uh, there were some very encouraging people there. They're, um, I guess, homeschoolers, and the kids were out, and and talk to us a little bit about some of the positive things that we're seeing today in, in terms of Christians bringing up their kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Well, in in uh, in uh, my uh, pastorate, we have children who go to public school. We have children who go to uh, private schools and Christian schools, and we have children who are homeschooled. But regardless of how that is carried out, we make sure uh, in the church. Uh, that they understand what the Christian faith is, not mm. only in our Sunday school, but also in forums and in many and various ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even hold classes for homeschoolers and lecture on philosophy and uh, history and a number of things and great literature, such as Dante's Inferno. We we read that last year That's to neat. the homeschoolers. But it is giving them a good and classical and Christian exposure, and that is terribly important, and we need that freedom above everything else. So in parallel with our concerns today, and hopefully um, Mm -hmm. the adults will go out there and and vote your conscience, your Christian conscience, and try to get good men and women into office, but in parallel with all that, coming up behind us is a whole army of Christian kids that hopefully Mm -hmm. will have an influence for God upon this society, upon, yea, even the whole world. And again, I think the real thing that we need is another awakening. We talked about it when we first started this, that the First Great Awakening was the seedbed for the American Revolution. And uh, I don't foresee a much success in turning around some of the things that are poor politically unless we first have another Great Awakening. Mm-hmm. Uh, freedom uh, is a cherished thing, and we've been blessed, uh, our heritage. Mm. Uh, y- you know, we're, we're not here advocating, imposing uh, what we are on everyone in our society. What we want is an open marketplace mm-hmm. whereby we can practice fully and freely our religion 
And I, I, I don't think Christianity has anything to fear from the marketplace. Not at but all. But I tell you, those dictatorial tendencies in some religions and political systems have they, everything to fear. They do right. fear. That's right. That That's is right. A, the great contrast, isn't it? And I think you see the difference in terms of a Christian faith being one of the heart. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh how are we Christians? We are Christians because Jesus Christ came and died for us, and we believe in him. And mm-hmm. set us free. And he set he us has. free. And that's, you know, that's not something, it's not because we pray five times a day. It's not because we do all this, that, and the other ritual that can be regulated. Mm-hmm. It's because Christ has gotten a hold of our hearts, yeah. and we trust in him. And you can't regulate that. And your involvement in this world, it's not an either-or. It's not that, oh, you're a Christian, therefore you can't be involved in the world. Or if you're involved in the Mm -hmm. world, therefore you can't be... No, it's it's both and. That's right. It's both and. You know, Christ wants us to go into the world. He wants us to be salt and light. Yeah, the world is dirty. It's very dirty. And we're going to get our toes stubbed and smacked across the face sometimes. But by God's grace... We've got to be in the world, yet not of the world, as it's been said before. Today we're talking about religious freedom here on A Plain Answer. And if you've just joined us in the studio is the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. John Vance. Gentlemen, I see we're just about out of time. Wrap-up thoughts today on this very important topic of religious freedom versus the phraseology, freedom of worship. I think when we see uh, religious freedom being replaced by the phraseology freedom of worship we understand that we're in a spiritual warfare Mm. and i think when we understand that that's when we get on our knees before god Mm. and uh, go to him because he is the one who brings the true change that we need in our society and in our hearts and uh, we need to be praying for another great awakening amen i think when we started this uh two sessions uh, on uh, this question, Mark mentioned the prayer in uh, is it First Timothy? First Timothy, yes, in First Timothy, uh, uh, where Paul admonishes uh, the church and Christians to pray for those in authority that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. Uh, our main weapon here uh, is something that is the main weapon, and that is nothing violent. Uh, not shouting down people in a nasty way, you but bet. truly praying to the Lord mm-hmm. that he might have his will done in the armies of earth. Amen. Yeah. Praise God for that. You've been tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Today, we've been joined with uh, Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. John Vance. This whole program will be posted to our website. Check it out at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. You can also sign up for the podcasts. Just uh, look for a plain answer. And also a reminder to join us again next week at the same time. Thank you so much for joining us today. For A Plain Answer and Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. May our Lord richly bless you today with His grace and His peace as you serve Him.